You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st Marie, ontario for its support booyah and it's time for the game sports show it is your host david mckeg jr bringing you another special edition upload powered by the game entertainment and media and sponsored by little caesar's pizza now getting right into our co-host joining yours truly tonight they call him mr clean and not going to get to as of why Y'all know him. Y'all love his voice. He's a part of the Game Sports Show family and the Game Entertainment and Media family as a general sports analyst. He's in particular a hockey and video expert. Those absolute fire videos that we upload on all of our social media and website. This is the guy that does that. It isn't yours truly that does it. And he's also one competitive individual, especially when it comes to NHL 21 or video games in general. The one and only Alex Parr. Alex, my friend, how are you? Uh, I'm very good, but I mean, I feel like they can uh, put the Mr. Clean reference together when they look at the picture used on the website. And uh, yeah, got to be competitive <laughs> at something. If it isn't uh, real sports, it's got to be uh, the video game versions. Oh, that that picture that you have on the website is awesome. There's a couple bad ones on an about page, I must say. Like those. Oh do man. <laughs> you know, though I will say flat out, put myself under the bus. I don't know where the heck I am with those pictures, but we need to update those, especially Brooksy's. He looks like he just got out of the shower and he's trying out for a Calvin Klein model session. <laughs> that that sounds like it would be like a good photo, you know, Brooksy, if you're listening oh. right now. But otherwise, <laughs> I digress. Trying too hard. That's what that's called. Oh, I got you. I see what you're saying. <laughs> Now, getting to our Little Caesar special edition guest, and I love to get into my intros. Uh, he is a current professional hockey player. He's within the Carolina Hurricanes organization, actively for the Chicago Wolves at the time of this recording. He had played a game in Carolina. He's a former second-round pick in 2009, drafted by the Florida Panthers. He's an alum for the U.S. National Development Program at the University of Denver. He played in the World Junior Championship, representing the United States in 2011, where he posted two goals in the tournament and got a bronze medal. To date, he has played 95 NHL games between Florida, uh, the Calgary, Vancouver, and, of course, the Carolina Hurricanes, a total of 26 points. He has played an additional 261 professional games between the AHL, Swiss A-League, and the KHL, totaling 356 professional games to date. He's a winner of the Denver Cup and MVP recipient of that tournament. He's the oldest brother of the Shore family who have had numerous hockey success tales all around. Oh, and he was born in 1991. Now, why is that relevant? Well, I was born in 1991. However, this guest had his name called in the draft when mine was called to get off the ice in junior hockey. And if you haven't guessed who this guest is, despite the last name hint at all or the title of this show, the one and only Drew Shore. Drew, thanks for taking the time to come on the show, pal. No problem. What's going on, guys? No problem. You know what? I, I th- did I get everything right in that introduction? I'm always nervous to make sure I got my facts right and all that. I just wing those intros usually. No, it was pretty good. Unfortunately, there's so many teams there. It would have been nice if there weren't quite as many teams. But, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> Love that. Now, obviously, get the time this recording, you know, there isn't too much update, especially on the Canadian side, as uh, myself and Alex here in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. I'm inside the Gem Studios doing the recording. COVID is obviously still a part of everything. We don't like jumping in this topic too much. Uh, but, obviously, you're involved as a player 
it's all this transition, this weird season that's going on. And I know we've had to reschedule because of an issue potentially internally and uh, just a rescheduling stuff on your end. Now, how's it all going? How are you finding it? And like, what's the difference in comparison to a quote unquote normal type season? Well, it's been crazy. I mean, so the last couple of years I was playing in Europe and I have a three-year-old daughter now and have another daughter coming uh, next month. So kind of when I made the decision with my wife that I wanted to give, uh, I don't know, North America another chance kind of last year in January of all the problems I thought or challenges, obviously COVID wasn't even in the picture then. So this whole kind of off season has been a whirlwind and even the summer I was in Denver most of it. Um, and it was a long off season. I mean, there were times where kind of guys were ramping up and then they get pushed back another month. And so that was tough. Um, but once it got going, it's been pretty normal. Um, training camp in Carolina was a little different, especially for a guy like me, just because normally after not playing over here so long, it would have been nice to have a normal camp and like play five or six exhibition games, but it was only a couple practices. And then we kind of jumped right into it. Yeah, it was so much different that way, right? And like obviously just the division layout and, you know, like obviously here in Canada, everyone's loving that North division and this side of the border, obviously. I, you know, we keep in touch with everything when it comes to the United States side, but it's a little bit different and it seems uh, that, you know, with the COVID side of things, the NHL this current time has had a lot of different rescheduling because of everything going on. And uh, the team with, with your part of right now, you were involved uh, in a potential kind of scare protocols. Like, how does that all work if someone on your team gets it, not, not throwing anyone under the bus saying who it is or what it is that got it on your team or if anyone got it? But obviously, you must have to do routine tests. You might ha- You must have to do certain things, right? Yeah, so there's a test every day, both in Carolina and here. So basically, you start your morning at the rink with a nice COVID test, uh, a Q-tip right up to your brain. Um, so you kind of start your day with that. And um, so the way it's kind of working so far right now is obviously I'm not an expert in this, but just because one person on the team has it, they kind of go immediately into isolation. And then if you're a close contact with them, you have to do a couple additional tests. But uh, so far, I mean, Carolina had that... Uh, issue a week or two ago where they lost a few guys for a while and but luckily in Chicago we uh haven't had too much of that and I think they're kind of just everyone's trying to take it day by day and make the best of the uh situation I mean at least guys are playing and like I said some of it's a bit of a pain but I think overall guys are just happy to be playing and uh back into a somewhat normal of a routine it's such a different year, eh, Alex? Like, you know, we were talking about that in numerous of our news shows. It's so much It's so much different this season. And obviously at the time of this recording, you know, things can change by the time this is uh, particularly uploaded. But, you know, he drew, meaning like obviously he goes from Europe and comes back to North America, and he joins Carolina. I know we're going to have a couple questions when it comes to Carolina, but I know you have something off the hop uh, as to joining, let's say, the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I mean, like how – Getting back to North America must have been a little bit of a challenge, too. And at the time when you're playing over in Europe and you're playing over in these different different leagues, was the goal always to come back? And did you have a team like Carolina in mind where you said, yo, that storm surge looks pretty cool. I want to be a part of that. Um, well, the goal is always to kind of come back. I mean, everyone wants to play in the NHL. And especially now that, like I said, I kind of have one kid and another daughter on the way. It makes Europe and especially Russia a lot more challenging. So last year, um, I actually got fired from a team in Russia kind of in the middle of the year. And I talked to Carolina a little bit um, and ended up not working out. And I ended up going back to Russia. But I had kind of already talked with them a little bit. And I think that uh, they had a little interest in me. And it was a potential place that I wanted to play. So kind of uh, when I made the decision to come back, they were definitely at the top of the list. 
I've never heard the word fired used when it comes to a hockey player in a team. How do you get fired in a, in a place like Russia? Ah, uh, well, that's a long, <laughs> that's a long story and it can okay. go for dif- different, uh, different reasons. But I mean, that's kind of what, I don't know, I guess imports call it over there. It basically just means that, uh, you're cut, you're know, packing you're, your bags. You're cut, you're packing your bags and that's the end of it. <laughs> We've heard so many tales about Russia, like from guests on the show. You know, the most members, one the uh, memorable one, sorry, that we've heard on the show was from Nathan Parrott. How he had to drink, have a drink, and it was called jizz, some jizz drink, some tiger jizz drink, and the ownership was like bodyguards and sending people out to fight. And I'm not putting Russia. I'm not saying anything bad about the KHL by any means, but the stories that come from Russia have been very uh, high on this show and a lot of feedback. So obviously with going over to Europe, though, we played in Switzerland. I, I know we have some friends here on the show that actually play over, played and playing over in Switzerland, and they think it's absolutely beautiful over in Europe. And it's a different game over there, though, right? Like a lot, It is different than North America. Some people say that North America is turning into that European-type style with all pure speed did you notice a difference in transition as a player like over from north america to europe when you uh, played over there yeah definitely and i think that even within europe um like between leagues and countries and stuff like that like the game varies so much just in terms of speed and skill and stuff like that and i mean i think that i had a great experience in switzerland um i was there for kind of two and a half years um i won a championship at zurich my second year over there and that was awesome. Um, and yep. I, my daughter was born there. My wife loved it there. And we had a really good group of guys there. So I loved my time there. My brother, Nick, actually just signed recently in Zug, Switzerland. Um, so he's actually over there now. So it's interesting uh, to talk to him. But he kind of, unfortunately, due to COVID and everything, they're pretty locked down. So a lot of the cool things you get to do over there, he can't really experience any of that. No, Nick, I know Alex uh, and I know him from being uh, host hats off here for a second. Trump, me. Maple Leaf fans. Uh, so obviously being sucker for pains, we like to call ourselves uh, Maple Leaf fans. Uh, but obviously, you know, your brother has played uh, as played the University of Denver, too. And that, the family ties with your brothers, you know, like we, there's obviously always a discussion about brothers in the National Hockey League of the Stahl brothers, uh, yourself and your brothers, uh, just to name a couple off the top of my head. So, you know, how was that household? Growing up, you were the oldest, you know, you were probably, you're probably the alpha male of the house out of all them, you know, the, like competitive hockey lines between you and your brothers. It was chaos. And like I said, I didn't really have a true appreciation for my parents at the time. And now I have one kid. I feel like I'm losing my mind sometimes. So the fact that they were able to deal with four of us, I definitely have a new appreciation for my parents. Who's the more competitive one? Um, well, there's four of us total. Yeah. So, um, I would, I just depends on what it is, but I mean, we are all pretty competitive to this day. Like even whether we're playing golf in the summers or we all spend a lot of time together in the summer. That's probably the, one of the highlights of, uh, kind of my whole year actually is just getting back home when they're home and playing golf with each other and hanging out and training together and skating together. So yeah, it's fun. And you got um, you got Quinton and Baker, the other two brothers. You know, there's a good story, uh, a short thing that is something that I obviously read into prior to our interview, and it's just it's a good little storyline to check out. Uh, I'm not going to promote any specific team with it, but it's you know it's certainly it, like when you have that competitiveness when it comes to brothers. You know, obviously myself with playing hockey and having brothers on teams. You know, it's always interesting to see them getting fist fights in the locker room with helmets and gloves back in the day and everything of such. But to seem to have the success that yourself and your brothers have getting into the professional realm it's uh it, it must have been a handful for your parents you know to 
obviously even financial side, let's get real. Hockey's not cheap. And to be able to do that and come through as far as you guys did in hockey, you know, it must make your parents proud. Yeah, no, they're really proud. And like, they were great growing up. Like I said, it's like, even like with how expensive it is, the traveling and stuff like that. Um, obviously all of us were very fortunate that we, uh, got to go to call Oh, Baker's at Harvard, but three of us got scholarships at Denver. And like kind of the joke was my parents finally, my dad would always say he finally broke even from all the minor league hockey. But <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy expensive. And I was very fortunate that our parents were able to, uh, kind of allow us to pursue our dreams and like i said i definitely have a new appreciation for them now do you ever let nick forget that uh he may have went around after you no not really he's got a lot more nhl games played so i'm sure if uh if i brought that up to him he would he have a quick rebuttal so but i mean the cool thing is like with how competitive we are kind of we're also kind of each other's biggest fans, like especially in hockey. Like, I mean, I hate losing to golf, like in any of them to golf. But when it comes to hockey, like obviously we all want each other to be as successful as we can. So that kind of part of our relationship from being so competitive with everything growing up to kind of becoming each other's biggest fans has been pretty cool to uh, watch and be a part of. 100%. Now, you know what? There's a lot of things in your career uh, like that. that's great that we're going to get into, but I wanted to go – it's going to go all over the place. That's what we like doing here on the Game Sports Show, just going all over the map. But we're going to start off with the obvious point, kind of where we did on the post-opener where we were talking about Carolina and what you're doing now. But, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes, they like to be called the bunch of jerks, and that comes from, of course – the, the Don Cherry side of things here in Canada and everything of such. And they embrace that obviously in the social media, what the Carolina hurricanes is absolutely unbelievable. It's funny. It's one of the better pages in hockey for that. Along with even the Philadelphia flyers have a very good um, media page as well, but you sign there and part in yourself already asked you about going back to the national hockey league, but in terms of training overall this year for yourself, you've touched on how it was different this year. There's a longer layoff, etc. but for yourself to get prepped for the year, did, did your training regimen have to change at all? Yeah, certainly. So it's actually kind of a funny story. So we kind of, after a few months of just skate doing the same skates at home, my brother and I, once the season was officially postponed, we thought it'd be really cool to go play together. But lots of teams in kind of in Europe only wanted guys that were going to be there for the full year. So my brother played in L.A. with Marion Gabrick, who um, has a lot to do with the team in Slovakia. So my brother and I ended up going over there for about 13 days and playing five games together, which was an awesome experience. Um, kind of something that we've never been able to do, like play together. Um, well, we did at Denver, but we were kind of line mates over there and stuff. But the plan was to go over there, play for two weeks, and then come back here, assuming training camp was going to start in December. But that backfired because we ended up coming back, and then it got pushed back another month. So it didn't quite work out that way. But, yeah, it was different. And like I said, even mentally, too, because guys – I didn't know if I was going to go back to Europe at one point. You know, once the season kept getting pushed back, I didn't know if there was going to be a season. But – Overall, like it allowed us, I mean, I've never been at home in Denver, Colorado, like in, I don't know, September, October, November, and probably 15 years um, since I played in college, at least. So, I mean, that was, there were some positives from it as well. See, and that's the big thing when it comes to the training side of things. We've heard so much change how there has, sorry, been change in training. Like there was always running, heavy lifting and everything before overall. But now it's trying to get that more of ice time. It's trying to do more cardio workout or um, doing more kind of footwork or swimming. Swimming's been a big popular thing uh, for here for Sault Ste. Marie professional athletes. So like in terms of 
your training regimen with that, like, do you have a specific one that you is your go-to? Or are you still a guy that hits the gym and hits the heavy weights? Well, there's a couple things to that. The first thing is normally in the summers, we have a group of probably 15 or 20 players who either played at the University of Denver or just played for the Colorado Avalanche at one point and called Denver home. So normally we have a group of like 15 or 20 guys and we have, we get treated unbelievably from the University of Denver. We're able to work out there with their strength coach, Matt Shaw. Um, I'm good friends with their head coach now, Dave Carl, and they give us all the ice time we need. But with COVID, um, this summer, we weren't allowed to go there one time. So we ended up having to find a new gym, uh, new trainers and uh, renting ice from a different rink. But it ended up working out okay. But I think that this is kind of a long answer, but getting uh, back to your other point, I think guys over the last five or seven years have definitely started spending more time on the ice during the off season. And I think that, uh, I mean, the skill level in the game has gone way up. So I think guys are really using the summer now to try and uh, enhance their skill base and kind of get as good as they can. Yeah, and no problems with the long answer. You just go, oh, we love that, <laughs> especially myself. You know, I love seeing that part. Yeah, and when you decided to come back to North America, was it Carolina your your main goal? You said you know you had the contact with them, or were there other teams kind of in the mix for that? No, there were other teams in the mix, but for a guy like myself, like people didn't know if the AHL was going to play or anything. And I mean, I really enjoyed, like I said, my time in Switzerland and then even Russia. Besides a few things here and there, like I had good experiences, but. I'm kind of getting older now and I just didn't really want to retire without giving the NHL one more shot. Um, so kind of mentally for me, I wanted to come back um, and just give it one more, uh, one more chance. See in Carolina, I'll say is a great, it's, it seems like a great locker room, just a great team. Like from first off, we'll say from a media perspective, they seems like they love their defensemen. Okay. They have a stellar defensive core. Now, in Toronto land, there was somebody that was there before, obviously, that's on Carolina. His name is Jake Gardner. Uh, um, there's, I've been quoted on radio and chirped a bunch of times because I've called him out before when I was doing some work for a Maple Leaf segment at a point. But my whole point of getting to the story is, is Carolina has a lot of good players in that locker room. And yes, I'll admit this, Jake is one of those players. He is a good defenseman for what he can do if he's in the right role. The same with every defenseman. Same with Pesci Hamilton. Big fan of Dougie Hamilton. And just overall with that team in Carolina, they got a good nucleus of guys. And the NHL and fans love them because of their surge that they had. And of course, I know there's one thing that we're going to get into a bit later on in the show is David Ayers that happened last year. I know that was a last year thing, but Carolina has made their mark in the last couple of years in the media perspective of the National Hockey League. So in terms of Carolina, I'm sure listeners would be curious, you know, when you're playing that game with Carolina in that locker room, who's the funny guy in that locker room? Who's the guy that operates the music? Or is it like, or is it just a full out, boys all locker room where there's no where everyone's just all equal and it doesn't matter who touches the music or who's louder than somebody else well i know vincent trocheck has been running the music down there and i think they're obviously off to a good start i don't know what their record is now probably like six and two so i think he's going to at least stay on the uh stay on the media sticks until uh something changes in that department but no it was great it was uh like speaking of Trocheck, I spent a couple years um, with him early in his career in Florida. So it's definitely nice knowing a guy or two when you go into a new room. But all of their guys were great guys. And I think that's part of what really makes that uh, team a good team is I think they have a pretty good culture in the room. And like you said, having uh, six, they actually have a young D-man, Jake 
Dean, who won AHL Demon of the Year, so I can throw him in there. So I think they have seven of some of the top D-men in the league, so that doesn't hurt either. Oh, no, they got a stack core, then Aho and the group. And, of course, Feshnikov knows what he's doing out there as well. It's a, it's certainly a very good crew. And Annette James Reimer, Optimus Rhyme, another former Leaf favorite, uh, who's actually having a stellar start to his year at the time of this recording as well. It's just a team that you can't dislike. Am I right, Alex? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. Now that the Leafs don't have to play them at all this year, I can like them a little bit more. But uh, and and a note on the the record seven and two, so even better than you had originally thought. Okay, so I guess he stays on the uh, on the tunes until that changes. And yeah. uh, when you were in there, how are those tunes? Do you approve of them, or do you just say, ah, they're winning? I'm not going to say anything. No, I mean I think he spends a lot of time on it, from what I can tell. So I think that uh, it was pretty uh, pretty complimentary of his mix. You know what? That's funny. See, Carolina is just, it seems like just an overall fun group. Do they ever talk about in the room about the storm surge or anything like that? Or is it, do, do they, do they plan it before the game? Like, I know it's, it's a little bit different this year, obviously, but was that ever a conversation brought up in the room at all at your time being in the room with the boys? No. So unfortunately I can't really talk on that because obviously this year with no fans and only playing one game, it's a lot different, but I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously, it got a little media attention. And I think overall, it's good for hockey just because, I don't know, I think that hockey has just such a reputation for being so, I don't know, I don't know what the word would be, but boring outside of the game. So I think that uh, anything people want to do to grab more attention to the game. And I mean, I think like even ESPN might have picked that up a few times last year. I think it's good for the game. Oh, it's fantastic for the game. They have it in video games now. I, I also know some teams in the North Canadian region that love doing it after games. It, it, it's just an effect that it had, right? And it's not cocky. It's not nothing. It's it's something that, you know, should be enjoyed as a fan because I think giving back to the fans is the whole point of doing that. Yeah, like I said, I think it's good for the fans. I think that uh, it makes more people want to go to game, gives them a better atmosphere, um, brings more attention to the game. Like you said, people who or even non-traditional hockey fans are talking about it. So, I mean, I think it's good. Well, well I mean, too, it, oh, don't mind me, Dave, but you played over in Europe, and you see how those fans embrace their teams. I think the storm surge is really, really close to some of the things that you see over there. I, I for one, love asking the people that do come on the show, are maybe the fans in Europe not necessarily better, but do you think fans in North America could adapt and take some of those things from that game into the, the way that they celebrate their team over here? Yeah, I mean, it's different over there. It definitely has more of like a soccer type atmosphere there. Um, but there's some amazing places over there, like Bern, Switzerland. I think they kind of have a, I think they sell out probably 18 or 19,000 every night, but like 12 of the 19,000 is like standing room only. So people are like banging drums and cheering the whole game. And it's a pretty fun atmosphere. That was definitely one of the best parts about playing in Switzerland was just, uh, how involved the fans were and it makes it fun as a player just because you know kind of going into every rink especially at like on the road or at home that it's going to give you a little extra energy and i loved it see thumbs up to that now the one thing about carolina i wanted to ask okay so that is a passionate market now more than it's been and obviously florida we don't we don't have to jump in about florida's fan base not here to chirp florida or anything of that i've, I've already done that on previous segments where i've said you know that i wish that fan base was better in florida because they have such a i think a very good team but with sticking with carolina here Rod Brindamore as a coach. Like, I know at the time of this recording, the day of this recording, you played you played one game for them, but obviously you've been around the room. That guy 
it still does workout videos. The guy still looks like he can probably play in the National Hockey League and skate circles around specific guys. How is Rod Brindamore's energy as a coach? He seems like he'd be an absolute fire of a coach. Yeah, I think all the guys love him there. And I think that, uh, I mean, obviously I have very limited experience with him. I've only talked to him a few times, played one game. But you can tell right away that I think the majority of guys in that locker room really, uh, really love playing for him. And, I mean, it was certainly good down there. I think they were on a five-game win streak when I was down there. So that makes everyone's mood uh, a little bit easier. But I think that uh, guys all know his career and how hard he played and how hard he worked. So it's definitely one of those things when he gets on guys, you know that he would have done it as a player. So I think it definitely pushes guys to go the extra, the extra inch for him. Oh, he's so competitive. Now, I know we talked a lot about Carolina, but I know Parr has a couple uh, addresses that he'll bring towards your college days. Yeah, so you went to the University of Denver, and I mean, that must have been super cool getting to stay at home and play play in front of your family on any given night. But for some players, they want to go the route of junior, and it's not like you didn't have the opportunity, you know, drafted by the Chilliwack Bruins in the second round. But you said, no, I really want to stick it out and stay at home. What kind of went into that decision? So I don't know how it is now, but back then you were drafted at, I think, 14 or 15, but you had one year until you were eligible to play. So at first, my goal was hockey, 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 and all I wanted to do was sign in Chilliwack right away. And my dad kind of sat me down and said, like, obviously, I'll support you if you go this way, but you can't play next season anyway, so why don't you just give it a year to think about it and then make your decision? So I said, okay, and then I ended up signing to play in the national development team and uh, just spent some time kind of where we were located there was almost right on Michigan's campus. So I got to go to a couple college hockey games and college actually football games at the university of Michigan, which is one of the coolest things. Um, what a party. Kind of, yeah. So I kind of saw that side of it and realized that uh, I was going to go the college route. And like I said, just uh, being 10 minutes from Denver and just like being able to have all my friends, my parents at the games and stuff like that was awesome. And I loved my time there. See, being in Denver is such a great school to go to. And Denver is such a, like, a beautiful city, too, right? Like, Colorado, everything of such, like, being in there, players loved it. You know, that that is – and players love going there. Like, uh, having some friends that play in the National Hockey League who love that experience in being in, like, Colorado, being in Denver, et cetera. It's, and being at the University of Denver, and, yes, you going the route of – of going that college route, I feel like is a best decision because you're able to get your education, obviously, and you're also able to play hockey. And but with that, obviously, you you left. It was I think before your senior year, right? Your final year of college, you opted and went to Florida. And I know we're going to backtrack to the draft a little bit, but right now, sticking on this point, what was the background in terms of opting out of your final year of college? to go into the Florida Panthers organization. Was there an influence because of what Florida told you at the time or would you be able to get into that in more detail? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think now looking back, I almost wish I would have stayed for my senior year, but at the time as like a 19 or 19 or 20 year old kid and you worked your whole life to go to the NHL and then someone says here, like we're ready to sign you. We'll give you a chance. It was kind of like a no brainer at the time. Like once I kind of got that opportunity and realized it was like, I had a good chance to play. Then it was, I didn't really think much about it because I had worked so hard to get there that, uh, yeah, I was like, I was ready to go. Yeah. See, so you got it. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard to say no when an NHL team comes knocking on your door. Yeah. Like Alex, anyone would have done exactly what you did. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm going to definitely know what that's like when an NHL team comes <laughs> knocking on my door, Dave. It's going to be. But, I mean, it, it's it's hard, like you said. Like, But I think now, like, you definitely have kids who end up signing too early. But you very rarely have a guy who is like, oh, I wish I would have left early. You know what I mean? Like, the guys make the mistake of leaving too early before they're ready. But you almost never hear it going the other way. No. And, like, honestly, you when you got drafted by Florida the second round, so draft day, we'll go to that point. So, obviously, you're obviously doing very well in the University of Denver. Uh, you had, you know, 53 points in 2011-2012. Yes, I pulled that out of online. I don't memorize all the stats, of course. But you had, obviously, your first year, you did had a good season, but your, obviously your last two years in the University of Denver were absolutely fantastic. So, of course – realistically you probably could have went first round in that year because of how you did in college but besides that florida drafting you in the second round you being the prospect that you were being rated going second round or being within late first round or whatever it may have been exactly did you have other teams that were saying like meeting with you like any particular draft stories or was it always known that florida was the team because i'm sure colorado might have had a little bit of interest being a hometown team and being right in their backyard yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I was rated pretty high for the draft. So I think at that point, you almost talked to pretty much every team. Um, and I was just, I mean, I wanted to go kind of anywhere I thought I had a chance to play. So, I mean, I was thrilled to be drafted at the time by Florida. Um, I knew at the time they didn't have a ton of prospects. So I thought it was a good spot for me. And uh, I was pumped about it. Any coaches or any GMs give you any funny stories? Like I remember one time when we had Terry Ryan on this show, the guy was talking about his memorable Montreal Canadiens uh, interview, like, and he went into very inappropriate details. I don't expect any of that sort of thing. But was there any kind of team or you know, not even a team, but a specific story, even without naming names if you didn't want to do so, that, uh, that really stick out to you that said, okay, I knew I wasn't going to get picked by them. Or you know what? I thought I was going to get picked by them. Um, I can't really remember any horrible ones. I mean, I know that there was one, I was in a meeting with one team that ran long. Um, so I ended up being late to the second meeting. Um, I forget who even who the teams were with, but right when I walked in, they grilled me about like being late and whether that was a habit of me being late or something like that. And I literally, my other meeting was in the hotel room next door. And as soon as that was finished, so I was a little flustered as an 18 year old kid, obviously you walk in there a little nervous and they start coming at you hot about being late for the meeting. But no, I didn't have any that were too bad. Um, I really enjoyed the process actually. Like it was pretty cool as an 18 year old kid, you're sitting across the table from NHL GMs and they're asking you questions and stuff like that. So I enjoyed most of the process. Dude, that's amazing. Alex. And I mean, it wasn't too, too long away until you scored your first goal. Do you, uh, I mean, it may not have been the most pretty of them, but can you take me through, uh, even if you can remember it, what happened on your first NHL goal? Yeah, I remember it. It was pretty funny. I remember going into that game, I had some glorious chances in like the previous couple games where I either hit the post or missed the net or something. And I ended up driving the net and the rebound came and then it kind of went off my shaft and I kind of took a baseball swing at it. Um, then it went in the net, but then it was reviewed for about five minutes. So I had the pleasure of just kind of sitting there on the bench or on the ice. Um, just sweating not, bullets. Just sweating, not knowing if it was going to count again. But then it counted, and uh, it was a pretty cool feeling. Do you yeah. still have the puck? I hope so. Yeah, I do have the puck. I think uh, they actually do a pretty good job of that. Like, I don't know if it was the NHL or Florida, like, put it kind of in a frame with the game sheet or something like that. And oh, cool. It's in my closet at my house. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. Do that and time. I mean, hey, against Braden Holtby, not a bad guy to score against. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun night. 
<laughs> and of course, you're playing against the Washington Capitals. It was a bounce uh, in a more of a creative way. But that team in Florida, too, obviously, Jonathan Huberdo, they, there was guys that, that obviously Jonathan, of course, is still there. But that was the shortened season, if I remember correctly, 2012-2013. And I know 2012-2013, that's a season I think that a lot of Leaf fans would love to forget, in particular any uh, kind of Canadian squads, you know. But uh, in 2012-2013, there was a team there that of course didn't do well that season but there's like guys like Jacob Markstrom who have moved on to have success uh, in Calgary now uh, Jose Theodore who was a Vesna winner was more of a veteran on that team you had Alexi Kovalev you had like I said uh, Jonathan Huberto Brian Campbell the list goes on for some good names that were on that team and of, of course now the director of player safety one of the guys George Peros right it's it seems like that was just a fun group to be a part of in Florida. And uh, there was still some guys that were missing, of course, on that list that aren't on there because uh, they weren't around yet, like Barkoff, etc. But Florida was going in the right direction at that time. And it's just kind of they were in a tough division at that time, too, because that's when the Atlantic was just getting really stronger with Boston, Tampa, Toronto, etc. But you seem to find your way into Florida and being around a lot of those guys must have been a good kind of starting process for you to get ready for the pros. Yeah, it was awesome. I definitely met a lot of, like I said, we kind of had a lot of older guys on that team who had been around for a long time. So it was nice to learn from some of those guys. Um, Kovalev actually ended up being the coach of a team in China that I played for at the KHL. So that was pretty funny that, like, I never thought playing in Florida with him as last year, he'd be coaching me five years later, let alone in China in the KHL. Um, <laughs> But it was like, yeah, I met a lot of guys and I'm still friends with some of those guys in that group. And there were a lot of funny characters. And I think that year, I don't exactly remember. It was a long time ago. But some of those top players all got hurt kind of midway through the year and the wheels kind of fell off. But, uh, yeah, it was a good group of guys for sure. It's definitely a good group. But, you know what, it's a big thing where speaking of goals that I want to backtrack to. Parr said, obviously, your creative first NHL goal that you had. Okay, in Germany, it was against Germany. I believed you were playing international hockey for the States. There's a YouTube video on it where you absolutely dangled a defenseman, okay, and went in and scored, I believe it was backhand. Now, obviously, growing up, you scored some goals in your career and going up to the professional level. Do you recall that goal against Germany? Was that that the World Juniors, remember the top of my head? Can you play that back to me at all? No, that was the world championships. And I think I only had two goals that maybe the whole tournament. So I definitely remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) That dangle. Okay. Like people that know hockey and played hockey, when you're pulling off a dangle, you're looking at a couple things. Okay. I'm going to dangle this guy through the legs or go through the stick or just go wide and put my shoulder down. Were you going down the wing and being like, yeah, I'm going to go through this guy's legs, make him look silly and absolutely bury this. (laughs) No, I don't recall that thing. I don't think that was my thing. Thought process. It was. Uh, I don't know. I definitely spend a lot of time on stuff in the summers, and it's nice when something uh, all comes together on the ice. Yeah, it does. Par. Yeah, and going back to the pro side of things as well. In the AHL, you had Markstrom as a goalie, and it took maybe a little bit of time for him to figure it out. But what do you think maybe changed for him, or what did you see while you played with him that you said, "Oh man, this guy's going to figure it out." So I love Marky. I spent a lot of time with him. He's one of my good friends. Um, I still talk to him all the time. I caught him a little bit in Vancouver when I came back. Um, And I think he was a guy that you always knew was going to make it. Um, It's just, like I said, I think he came over really young. 
um, kind of from from Sweden, came over really young. Obviously, a goalie is a pretty tough position to uh, – there's a lot of pressure. Um, he's a super fun-loving guy, but he's also a very hard worker. And I think once he was able to kind of find the perfect balance between – being himself off the ice and working as hard as he does on the ice, it would come together. And I'm really happy for him. He's uh, a guy I think that everyone was always rooting for and just the success he was able to have um, in Vancouver, which ultimately led to his new contract in Calgary was, uh, was fun to watch. Yeah. And it was nice to finally see him get the recognition he deserved to what a season he had, but when it came to practice, were you able to get his number? <laughs> That was a long time ago. I'd like to say yes, um, but he would probably say otherwise. But he's so big. He was so big and so athletic that, like I said, I think that he works so hard. Um, I think it was just a matter of everyone knew it was going to come together. I don't know if people knew when it was going to come together. Um, but like I said, I'm really happy for him. See, and the big thing is, too, that he finally got his breaks. I feel like Florida, not that I was holding him back. I don't want to say that. I said that at the top, but he got a better chance when he got to move to Vancouver, now ultimately being inside of uh, the Calgary's organization. But even with San Antonio, you said, obviously, with Carolina right now, Vincent Trocek, you had played with him there. You had uh, Alexander Petrovic as well, who was a highly touted defenseman prospect when he was drafted. And... Just the experiences in the American Hockey League, you had a good amount. I think yeah, it was parts of four seasons in San Antonio. And then it was off to Calgary in the Flames organization where, you know, Johnny Goudreau was just coming up. He was a pup. Uh, Sean Monaghan, uh, TJ Brody, who now is in Toronto, and just Bob Hartley as a coach, who's a legendary Colorado coach, who I'm sure you watched a little bit when he was coaching Colorado. So I kind of want to go into your days post-Florida. Of course, now you being within Carolina's organization. So in between all that, where you had the times in Calgary's organization and also uh, Vancouver's, and we're going to jump into European hockey a little bit before that, but your time in Calgary, for the most part, you had, there was a young team there with Gujo Monahan, as I mentioned, Bob Hartley is the coach, you know, and uh, the list goes on. Sam Bennett, I think was an 18 year old at that time he was just starting he was just a new draft pick at the time how like how was your experiences with both san antonio then jumping over to calgary san antonio was great um my first year in san antonio was the lockout year so some of the teams we played like at the time we were playing like the oklahoma city barons who because of the lockout they had guys like jordan everly was playing there taylor hall was playing there um nugent hopkins was playing there so being a young guy, having my first experience in the AHL, getting to play against these guys who were first overall NHL picks and had done well in the NHL previously was awesome. So I didn't realize kind of how good I had it at the beginning in the American League, at least, just because it was like during that lockout, there were so many guys on two-way contracts who had been in the NHL and done well in the NHL who were playing. So it almost felt like it was kind of like the American League on steroids for a bit until at least the season started and then I'm Ultimately, all of those guys left, but I had a great time in San Antonio. Um, we had a coach, Tom Rowe, there for a while, who actually was within the Carolina organization for a bit, who really was good to me. Um, and then ultimately, getting traded to Calgary was a bit of a different experience. Uh, like you said, my I spent probably a couple months there and didn't play a lot, so that was a little tough. But overall, I enjoyed my time there, and the city was good, and they had a great group of guys there as well, so that was fun. 
Yeah, and then you see, like, in Bob Hartley, when you had him in Calgary, did you get a chance, like, did you go to a lot of Colorado Avalanche games since you were in that area? Did you get to go watch, like, Joe Sackick a lot, or, like, any, were you, were you even a Colorado Avalanche fan growing up? That's probably uh, fair to ask. Yeah, I was. I think that's actually kind of how I got into hockey is because when they moved to Denver, they had that team when they won the cup the one year with like the Ray Bork stuff and yeah. just all of, I mean, I don't know how many, they might've had 10 hall of famers on one team. So that definitely, uh, I was a huge avalanche fan. Um, so yeah, I mean, I knew Bob from kind of coaching there, but like I said, I wasn't playing a lot. So unfortunately I had to spend way too much time with Bob when I was in Calgary. <laughs> Alex and now that you're back in the AHL you know you you've been around the world playing hockey before you've been there done that in a sense do you have guys like the Suzuki's of the team for example coming to you and asking for any advice and what kind of stuff do you tell to these new guys trying to maneuver their way through a new league yeah so the AHL is a bit different this year because like you said I'm in Chicago so well first of all we're sharing a team with Nashville so it's Carolina and Nashville um, and then both teams have about five to seven junior eligible kids who normally I think you have to be 20 if you're playing from the CHL to play in the AHL. So they got a bunch of those guys here. So Carolina has a good group of young guys with like Suzuki, um, Seth Jarvis, who was just jafted, Jamison Reese. Um, so they got a good group of young guys. And I actually have been at the hotel with them and kind of been driving some of them around. So that part's been fun as well. <laughs> Like that, it's so good being like this is now you being a veteran, you playing in the National Hockey League, being able to travel. You can provide that advice and show them the kind of the do or don'ts. And even even you're only 30 years old still, and you're with Carolina's organization. And obviously, we'd I'd love to see you watch it back up in Carolina's organization. But have they like has Carolina touched base with you in any regard about where you could uh, improve your game to be more of a full time NHLer or anything of such? just because it's a weird year where you know there's a taxi squad there's an american league team they're they're carrying more guys on their roster and it's just a different schedule that do they are they constantly keeping in touch with you in any regard for that yeah i'm talking to them a little bit like one of the things the one game i played i actually played left wing um and one of the things i'm normally strictly a centerman and i think that uh looking back i wish i would have been better i wish i would have worked more on being able to play wing because there'd be times where there'd be a spot in the lineup for a winger and I'd kind of either not get it because I was a centerman or get it and not be able to be nearly as comfortable. So, I mean, I definitely wish from that perspective that I would have been a little bit more versatile and I think it would have allowed me to have more success. So right now I'm kind of just doing anything I can to hopefully, uh, if I do get the call to go back there, like I said, the first game I played was the first time I've ever played left wing. Um, but I actually ended up, uh, feeling okay out there so i'm just trying to uh i don't know stay in shape and like i said if something happens they need me up there be ready to go and play as well as i can see that's one thing even with a lot of the veteran players and we've had some guys that said they transition from center to wing a lot of them sometimes prefer wing because it's not as hard on your body but basically it's an easier position than center is what they're saying. But I think any position that you play on the ice is not easy. It doesn't, you're on the boards, you're watching the point. If you're a winger, right, there's certain sides. But it almost seems like being a winger, it seems like you can be either a small winger if you're – I like referring to like a Steve Sullivan back in the day that I've always been a big fan of, Martin St. Louis, those guys. But nowadays, if you're a fast, bigger type winger and – you're just you're over six feet you're six two being a big winger that would be a 
an asset. But of course, centers being big is an asset. So being able to play the wing, though, that, that is a position that might be, is it less more grueling on the body than center is? Or do you notice a difference? Yeah, it's different. I mean, you don't skate. I mean, I feel like in general, you're not quite skating as much because you do have a little bit less responsibility in the D zone, but there are also some things that are harder with it. You're getting pucks a lot of the times that are being rimmed around the wall with the D man right on you. So it's almost like, I don't know if I would say it's easier. It's just the battles you have are in different areas of the ice. And it's almost like I said, you don't normally touch the puck as much, which can be good for some guys, bad for other guys, but it's just a different position. But I think that I definitely wish I would have been a little more versatile at it um, in years past just because like it definitely as a player gives you a lot more chances to get in the lineup. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely a position where a lot of people are starting to prefer if they're a natural centerman. Certainly I think it's grueling either way, Alex. So also with that, follow, well, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just saying like the way that with the way the systems are now, it's kind of like changing a little bit too, kind of from how it was 10 or 15 years ago. We're kind of, now the first guy back in the defensive zone kind of plays as the center man and lots of guys, lots of the good teams at least have kind of a righty and a lefty, like who can both take face offs. So guys are taking face offs on their strong side. So kind of like the traditional role of like a center man and a winger is definitely, I think, a lot more blended now, um, kind of to how it was 10 years ago. That's a good term, blended. I like that. That is that is actually the perfect term for it. Perfect term. Alex. Now when it comes to our podcast, we've had a lot of uh, some tough guys on the show. Some of the goons, some of the enforcers of, uh, of the hockey. Aren't you? You're going there. You're going to this question. Well, I'm curious, <laughs> and I wouldn't say, Drew, I don't think by any means your skill set really uh, coincides with the enforcer role. So uh, I looked on Hockey Fights, and I wanted to take a peek. So uh, Anthony Botetto, do you want to tell me a little bit about that story and uh, when you were playing in the A? Yeah, sure. It was. Uh, I think I got sent down the day prior. Um, and I'd been sent down probably about, that was probably my 10th time being sent up or down of the year. So I don't think I was in a great mood rolling into Milwaukee. Um, and it was, it might've been a Wednesday game in Milwaukee at about seven o'clock. And we happened to just be kind of changing at the same time. And I actually probably said some unpleasant things to him and asked him to fight. And I think at the time he was kind of looking at me, didn't know if I was kidding or not, because he might've had 10 or 12 fights, uh, going into that and I had zero on the year so far. And, uh, like I said, I kind of just kept asking him and he punched me about 15 times in the head. I don't think I got him once. And that was the end of it. And is that, is that when you decided, ah, okay, maybe fighting is not for me. (laughs) Well, it was something that I don't know. I don't think asking someone who had already had 10 or 15 fights on the year and who's actually a very (laughs) tough guy to fight. Yeah. Why uh, him of all guys? It was just, like I said, it was one of those things where he kind of caught me, <laughs> caught me in a bad mood. Or, and uh, I think he, uh, like I said, yeah, don't think he sweated it too much. It, this is a guy that, you know, who's obviously fought a bit more. And when you're angry, especially at the time we were being up and down, it could be frustrating, right? Like you're trying to get that full-time job. You don't know a security side of thing. It, it's, I've, you know, obviously Brooksy talks about that story all the time, played a thousand professional games, but never really got the chance to stay up or go up besides exhibition games. Obviously you've played in the national hockey league and had that experience and also playing in Canadian environments, which is absolute fire, but you know, being a little bit biased on that mad, uh, the overall thing though, that like, I really kind of wanted to touch into, cause I know there's a couple more topics I want to jump into before we let you go is 
the European experiences, okay, I know we kind of already did jump into it a tad, but between Switzerland and Russia, I don't want to ask which one might be a more beautiful place because I think I know the answer of that. But being in Switzerland, is there ability in Switzerland like to have the hockey life balance? Because it seems like players that have played there, they have all these nice pictures of seeing the mountains, the <laughs> The waters in Switzerland and the experiences in Switzerland just seems like the view might be better than playing hockey out there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Switzerland's an amazing country, especially Zurich, um, where I was fortunate to kind of be, even though I only played there for two years, the other team I played on was only 10 or 15 minutes. So I was pretty much in the Zurich area my entire time there. And it's beautiful. It's, uh, It's like the mountains are an hour or two away. And I mean, there's a lot of good things there. And I mean, the longest bus ride in Switzerland is about two or three hours. Um, the fans are great. Uh, the teams take care of you really well, set you up in nice apartments and stuff like that. But I mean, at the same time though, as like most guys are competitive, like you always kind of in the back of your mind do want to get back to the NHL, but in terms of places to be, especially in Europe, it's uh, tough to beat there. Oh, definitely. You see, like it's the stories about Switzerland are fantastic. It's it's an amazing country. It seems to feel, but even Russia and Switzerland, the comparisons in league. I've heard that the KHL is a faster league than Switzerland. I've seen videos. Obviously, I do think the KHL might be faster. Uh, it, can you second that? Is, is the talent level different in the KHL than maybe in Switzerland would be, or even in, how it would be in Sweden or anything in Europe? Yeah, I mean, I think the KHL is definitely better. Um, overall hockey than Switzerland. Um, but like both of those leagues are pretty top heavy in a sense that there's a few teams in each league that have a majority of the talent that are definitely uh, kind of from a talent perspective a lot better than some of the bottom end teams. And that's true in both leagues. Um, but like I said, I enjoyed my time in both. Um, in Russia, it goes really good or really bad pretty quickly. Um, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. So Switzerland's a little bit more uh, stable, I would say. So, I mean, there's that benefit. But like I said, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed both. And there's definitely some stories from both that uh, I won't forget. And uh, some friends I made that will uh, last forever. And for me, when it comes to the year hockey calendar, my favorite hockey by far isn't the NHL. It's the World Juniors, and you were fortunate enough to not only play, but to medal as well. Do you have any stories from the 2011 World Juniors with the States that stick out to you to this day? Um, I don't need to name his name, but I remember there was a player on our team who made a comment about the city we were in on social media, and that was kind of just when social media was uh, <laughs> coming coming up. So. Uh, being at the hometown team, trying to get support from the people there, and then uh, to have one of the players say something about uh, the city that we were in, I don't think went over too well. But no, yeah. overall, I, wasn't that I one a, played in the states too? Yeah, it was played in the states. So it was oh, in a boy. U.S. city. Yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah. The, but I mean, I had a good experience. We got beat. I don't remember what the score was by Canada in the semifinal, but uh, there were a lot of good players on that team. And like you said, that's an awesome tournament. Like I think that. Yeah. Uh, Every kid, even in the U.S. now, really wants to make that team just because uh, it's such a cool tournament. I actually tried out for the team the year before and got cut the year that they won in, I think it was in Saskatoon or whatever. And then we ended up winning a bronze our year. So it was a good experience. And, 
Yeah, it was fun. Is it hard to bounce back after losing a chance to go play for the gold medal to play for that bronze medal? Because obviously a lot of people say it's a better feeling to win bronze than it is to win silver because you win the bronze. But what's going on in that locker room to bounce back? Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, obviously I would have rather beat Canada and had a chance to win the, the gold. But, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a letdown when you lose that semifinal game. No one goes into that tournament thinking, oh, I want to win a bronze medal. Um, <laughs> well, especially like none of the, I don't know, I would say like kind of the top end countries. The um, powerhouse teams, the, of course. So, but I mean, yeah, like I said, it was a long time ago, but I remember like you kind of, you're disappointed for the night, but then the next morning you realize you got one more game to play and take it home and a bronze is better than not taking home anything. So I, I don't even really remember the game, to be honest. But it was something that, uh, like I said, it was a good experience. And like I, after playing at the U.S. development team, there were a lot of guys from those teams who were on the World Junior team. So that made it fun away from the rink. And uh, this year we were actually at training camp in Carolina when the World Juniors was going on. And we had nothing going on, um, obviously, with the situation. So I watched a lot of the World Juniors and it was a good tournament. See, and I want to say, and I know I was kind of talking with Alex about bringing this up, and the U.S. dominated Canada in that gold medal. I'll admit it, flat out being a Canadian, obviously the U.S. wanted that game a heck of a lot more. And guys like Trevor Seagrass, Cole Caulfield, big fan of Trevor Seagrass, to be honest. The, the kid looks like he's going to be a stud. I think everybody is now after watching him in that tournament. Yeah, it's an absolute stud, and the moves he's pulling off uh, in shootouts, apparently, and videos that it seems like playing right now, it's fantastic. But there was always, there's always something between the two countries, Canada and the States. You know, when one country wins, the other one doesn't. There's controversy in terms of, okay, what did Canada do to chirp the U.S.? What did the U.S. do to chirp Canada? And of course, this year, the dramatic scene around was the, tr- the bin that the U.S. brought out. There was a trash can, if you will, with Canada's logo on it. There was the kids like trevor seagrass sticking on his arms going what do you think of this or you know like that picture is bad radio for me to explain what he looked like but you know there there was a team there in the states where people get upset about the way they acted and that's from a canadian perspective i don't i think there were underdogs in that game they were the better team in that game and they deserve to go out there and be they can be as cocky as they wanted to be were they cocky a bit sure but that was probably one of the best games I've seen in U.S. Ju- uh, in, ju- in world junior history for for the United States. One of the best ones. It's it, they were just so exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean it was a great game. Um, like I said, we were at training camps. So we had a lot of guys. Um, I know who we weren't really allowed to do anything fun, um, but a lot of guys had it on in their room and were kind of sending messages in the group chat. And um, I bet a few lunches and dinners with some of the Canadian guys, so I was eating free for the week. So it was, uh, I was happy that the, uh, I was happy that the U.S. won. But I mean, that's a great rivalry, like you said. Like so many people uh, turned into that game, and like don't know who a lot of those players are, and a lot of players go from that game to being stars in the NHL. So I mean, for 20-year-old hockey, it's as good as it gets right there. Fantastic. Now, Alex and myself have went through a lot of different topics. We're getting towards the end of the show, and we're getting to the conclusion portion, Drew. Uh, there's bonus questions, okay? That All right. The bonus questions that we call them, they, that throw you kind of off guard, out of the blue, okay? So I'm actually going to go the route. I like stealing one of our co-hosts' question. Yes, I can't get original with it. I just love this question, and I think it fits for you because – of the influence you had growing up, of having a competitive family, brothers that are playing hockey, uh, great parents that supported you through it. And I I think I know what your answer is going to be, so I'm going to make it a two-parter. So 
who is outside of your family, okay, your brothers and uh, and obviously your parents, your most influential piece of being a hockey player that made you who you are today? And also, before you played in the National Hockey League, if you had to choose two line mates to play one more game with that you played with before you played professional hockey, who would they be? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Her question. Oh, yeah. It's, we, like, we throw everyone for a loop for this one. Um, all right. Well, I'll start with the two line mates. I would go with Crosby and Kane would be the two line mates. Okay. There you go. Uh, so those would be who I would play. And then most influential outside of my family. Yeah, I, I obviously would. That's tough. Um, I'm, I know. I was, I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's good. Um, it's normal to think on this one. It's normal to take a pause to think. It, it's it's certainly when you outside a family, it's real difficult to choose. I've had way too many coaches, too. I was trying to go with that route. Um, but I think... I would say probably a guy we train with every summer at Denver, Matt Shaw. Um, I would say he's just a good guy. And like I said, he kind of came in right as I was getting out of DU, but now he's almost turned into more of a friend and kind of just a guy to talk to during the year. And whether I'm in Russia or Chicago or Carolina, like if I ever needed anything, he'd be a guy um, who I could reach out to. I've reached out to him when I've been hurt. Like, you know, I don't know whether it's I hurt my groin or something in Russia hey, what do you think about this? And he's a guy who would always get back to you. So that was a tough question, but I would maybe say Matt Shaw. He's a guy, like I said, I didn't – I saw him this summer twice, but not even like, because of the training, um, not even for training just to uh, catch up. But normally I spend four or five days a week with him for the last probably eight or nine summers, so I'd probably go with him. Now I know Parr, we're definitely throwing Alex on the spot with this but Alex, I want you to think of a, a question that would do for loop. You're saving the best for last, like I always tell Brooks. I don't know if this isn't necessarily going to throw him for a loop, but when when you think about big hockey coverage, obviously that's going to be a lot of the Canadian teams, as it's kind of the sport up here. So maybe Carolina doesn't get the rub necessary that necessarily that other teams do. Who do you think is one of the people in the, either the Carolina system on the, in Chicago or in Carolina that is just too good and doesn't get the attention that you think they necessarily should because they're just that good? Well, I mean, I, I would say half their team right now, kind of with what you said. <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, they have so many guys. Um, but I would say probably, I mean, everyone knows who they are, but I think if that Aho or Svechnikov were playing in a Canadian market, it would be every night, like TSN, every night, everything. So, I mean, those two guys, um, I would say I was pretty impressed with both of them at camp, just not having played really against them much because I'd kind of been gone since they had kind of turned into stars um, in the NHL. So I was really impressed with both of those guys. Um, and then they got a couple of young kids right now in Chicago, Seth Jarvis, who is their 13th overall pick. Great. Um, this year is going to be a player. I think that uh, I think he kind of just in his own words, I think he kind of had a slow start to his draft year and then kind of showed people the player that he's going to be the second half. So I think that if it wouldn't have been for his slow start. I think he could have maybe even gone it um, higher. And like I said, those are coming from other people, people. So I would say kind of but I mean, Carolina has so many players, like I said, their decor kind of one through seven, I think is as good as any decor in the league. Um, and then kind of with those two guys leading the way up front that I think that, 
if they were in a different market, they would be pretty much talked about nonstop. If Svechnikov played on the Leafs or with the Habs, I think every sports center would end just showing one of the lacrosse goals or whatever, and they they would never let the fans would never let you forget that. Well, so I actually was watching one of the times he did that last year was against my brother who was playing in Winnipeg. And I remember I was like kind of doing something, but I had the game on. I was paying attention and I saw him pick it up and score. But I thought they I thought the broadcast was just showing like a clip of him doing it the first time. And then like five minutes later, I realized that he just did it again. So, yeah, I was uh, he's uh, he's phenomenal. Um, they got they got a ton of good guys there, and I think that uh, they're going to be one of the best teams for the next I don't know five or ten years until those guys uh, either move on or do something else. Oh, I just a bit, you know what I if one thing we didn't really bring up that you know what we should Alex is David Ayers. So I lied when I guess I said there was another question because there is one more. Do they ever talk about David Ayers inside the Carolina log? I know you were there for the one game, but is that is that a thing around Carolina still when they talk about the Zamboni driver beating the Toronto Maple Leafs? Is that still a thing at all? <laughs> I, di- I didn't hear anything about that. Obviously, I know a lot about the story just because of how much national media coverage it got last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, that was not uh, something that was brought up this year. Good. I'm glad you guys forget about it. We'll forget about it. And let's just never mention it again. That might be worse than the 2013 collapse if you're a Toronto fan. But spin the wheel and see what it lands on. They're all awful. That's hilarious. Nonetheless, it's still they're looking pretty. They're looking pretty good this year, though. That's kind of the thing, Drew. We've done this a while. They do pretty good. They get our hopes up, hopes up, and crush us. So we're prepared for this. We're strong. Uh, honestly, Carolina team that are definitely a favorite and just the overall, I'm very interested to see how the rest of this year goes and drew for yourself. I know, um, you being in Chicago, hopefully you get the chance to go back up to Carolina at the time of this recording. That's where uh, you are, but maybe we'll be, when we keep in touch, you can tell us some more stories when you get back up uh, into the national hockey league, which obviously determinations to get there. And I think Carolina uh, would definitely be a strong team to be a part of because of the success that they're going down. But overall, I know uh, you're on social media. Uh, so just kind of plug it all. This is how you and I actually got in touch uh, because we started connecting on social media. Uh, your Instagram is drew.shore15 if anyone wants to give you a follow. And also in terms of your like uh, Facebook or Twitter, is there anywhere else you can be followed on social media? I mostly just do the Instagram thing, and I'm pretty new to that. I actually just started that uh... – I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. So no, it's nice to be able to connect with you guys on that. And uh, I've enjoyed, I, we have a lot of downtime right now during the year, especially when uh, without not being able to leave the hotel and stuff kind of on the road. So I've definitely uh, spent a little more time on that, but uh, it's connected me with some good people and uh, it was fun. Yeah, it has. It's definitely been great. Alex, I want to say thank you to you. And I know you'd like to uh, say probably goodbye to Drew as well. I got to make sure you say bye. <laughs> yeah, Drew, just a quick thanks, man. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, you know what? Good luck in the rest of the season. And I know I'm going to see you in the red and white sooner rather than later. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the uh, good luck with the podcast. Definitely. And we uh, appreciate having you on and it'd be uh, hopefully sometime we can have you on in the future as your career goes on again. Thank you to Drew Shore. Thank you to Alex Parr. Thank you to the listeners. Make sure to give Drew Shore a follow on Instagram. Make sure to keep extra tabs on the Carolina Hurricanes. I know I will now. There's a team that is certainly fun to watch and definitely keep an eye for yourself in the American Hockey League, Drew, and hopefully everyone can stay safe because at the time of this recording, COVID is obviously and still 
full effect. But nonetheless, this has been the special edition upload of the Game Sports Show presented by Little Caesars and powered by the game entertainment and media. We appreciate you stopping by. Make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe on all of the platforms that GEM, acronym for the game entertainment media, bring forward to you. Now, getting to our conclusion, I would like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.